Welcome to CTSNet to Go, bringing your discussions about the most relevant topics in cardiothoracic surgery. The Cardiothoracic Surgery Network, known as CTSNet, aims to connect the global cardiothoracic surgical community through communication, collaboration, education, and interaction among cardiothoracic surgeons and their teams across the globe. Learn more at ctsnet.org. My name is Shanda Blackman, and I'm just one of the hosts of CTS Net to Go. We hope you enjoy. I'm Dr. Varun Shetty, and today we're interviewing Dr. Devi Shetty, chairman and founder of Narayana Health. Dr. Devi Shetty is a world-renowned cardiac surgeon and is best known for making cardiac surgery affordable to the common man. He founded Narayana Rudalaya in 2001, and today the group does over 17,000 heart surgeries a year. He's often been called the Henry Ford of heart surgery because he's used the economies of scale to make cardiac surgery affordable. Dr. Shetty, thank you for agreeing to do this interview with us. Thank you, it's my pleasure. Dr. Shetty, let's begin by uh, talking about your journey into making cardiac surgery affordable to the common man. Uh, it started more than 37, 40 years ago. After my graduation in general surgery, I went to England and worked for the National Health Service and I was working at the Guy's Hospital in London and in 1989 I uh, came back to India and settled down in Calcutta. It was a big change but uh, we realized that if a solution is not affordable it is not a solution. Cardiac surgery was very expensive those days. 30 years ago when I started my first heart surgery in Calcutta, the first patient paid $2,000 for a heart operation. Today, we are doing the same operation for less than $1,200. All this happened just by using market forces, business of the economy of scale, large volume, a constant effort to improve the quality outcome and all this happened. And uh, today, heart surgery is affordable by the common man of India to quite a large extent. And all this happened mainly because of the contribution of all the passionate doctors this country produces. You also uh, pioneered the concept of a low-cost micro-health insurance. Can you tell us more about that, please? About 14 years ago, in the state of Karnataka, where I am living currently, there was drought, consecutive three years there was drought. Unlike in the Western countries, Indian government spends 1.1% of the GDP on healthcare. So patients really buy healthcare. So nearly 80% of the country's population go to private hospitals for the treatment. So my friends who are managing small and big hospitals in the state of Karnataka, they told me that uh, their business is down because patients do not have the money to pay for the healthcare because there is drought. So I came up with the concept that if large number of farmers pay a tiny amount of money every month for the healthcare, they can afford to undergo any surgeries. So the state government bought the scheme, then they launched a scheme called Yashasvini. The concept was to collect 11 cents from each farmer per month 
and if they contribute in large number in millions then the scheme will be viable. So we convince 1.7 million farmers to contribute 11 cents per month and we network with 400 hospitals across the state and this insurance covers only for the surgeries. There are about 650 varieties of surgeries which are commonly done on the human body. We covered all those operations, all cancer surgeries, brain operation, including heart surgeries to be done under the scheme. And fortunately, our government agreed to become a reinsurer so that there was no additional cost for reinsurance. And I'm very happy to tell you that in, the, in a matter of 12 to 13 years, over 1.5 million farmers had varieties of surgeries and uh, over 150,000 farmers had a heart operation just by paying 11 cents per month. Poor people in isolation are very weak, but together they are very strong. You can do amazing things by the economy of scale. That's a remarkable story, Dr. Shetty. Uh, you have also spoken about how technology can be used to lower costs. You've often described your methodology as converting atoms into bytes. Can you tell us more about this? 100 years after the first heart surgery, less than 20% of the world's population can afford to have a heart operation. There is something seriously wrong with the way we are delivering healthcare. But there is a hope, there is a hope today that is using technology, that is software, as a vehicle to deliver healthcare. Now, what transformation it can do? Let me give you a simple example. If I have one kilo of rice, I give you half a kilo of my rice. I lost my half a kilo of rice. Instead, if I have a software to interpret a chest X-ray or a ECG, I made it for my use and I paid for it, I can give a copy to you and I can give a copy to the whole world without really losing what I have. So first time in the evolution of mankind and the society, you can actually give something what you have to others without you really losing it. So how, what relationship it has for the healthcare. In good old days, we used to have chest x-rays with the film. Film is an atom. Every time you develop a new film, you have to pay for the film and there is a cost in developing it. Whereas you buy a digital x-ray machine, one-time cost, then you can do any number of chest x-rays. There is hardly any recurrent cost because film is replaced by uh, the, you can see the film in a uh, screen of the desktop or in your mobile phone. So there is no cost. The moment you convert atoms into bytes, everything changes. Believe me, healthcare will undergo changes beyond recognition. And digital technology will democratize healthcare. We believe that India will become the first country in the world to dissociate healthcare from affluence. India will prove to the world that the wealth of the nation has nothing to do with the quality of healthcare its citizens can enjoy. Thank you. Over the years, you and your team have obviously mastered uh, the making cardiac surgery affordable. 
for the people. But then in this new age with the volumes of scale, how do you ensure uh, quality and making a cardiac surgery safer for the patients? As we are all technicians, as we keep doing more operations, we get better. When I was a young surgeon, quite a few patients, if something goes went wrong, they used to die on the table. Today, hardly anyone dies on the table because we have mastered the art of cardiac surgery and cardiac surgery has become extremely safe. What we thought was unthinkable cannot be done or inoperable condition. Today, we do the operation in two, three hours and the patient goes home in seven days, 10 days time. But our biggest bugbear is the management of these patients in the critical care unit. Critical care unit can make a huge difference in deciding the outcome of cardiac surgery. But a critical care unit service in India or in US or Europe offers the best care only between nine to five, when all the senior doctors are around the patient. That means technically a critical care patient across the world gets the best care only for eight hours a day. 16 hours a day, he gets substandard care because patient is taken care by either junior doctors or uh, paramedics and nurses. Now, is there a way we can change it? Yes, you can offer good quality care to the all of our cardiac patients in the ICU. If you digitize post-op management and let the doctor stay at home, the intensivists stay at home, surgeons stay at home, and let there be junior doctors or residents on call who are able to open the chest and do all the maneuvers, whatever is required. And with the online healthcare, these doctors sitting at home can see the real-time data and they can interact with the Skype or video conferencing facility. And this is what we are in the process of building and that will make a huge difference. And also we have multiple hospitals and some hospitals like in, we have a hospital in Cayman Island. When it is 12 o'clock at night, they can't afford to have senior doctors doing on-call duties every time. So our nurses and doctors sitting here can easily manage the patient because when it is 12 o'clock at night in Cayman Island, it is 11 o'clock in the afternoon here. So our doctors and nurses are nice and fresh. So there will be a massive transformation in the outcome of healthcare as well when we bridge this uh, gap in ICU care. Dr. Shetty, you mentioned about the Cayman Islands. I understand that four years ago, you started a hospital in the Cayman Islands. How successful have you been in reducing the cost of healthcare in the context of a Western scenario? Uh, Caribbean region is a very interesting location for us to uh, influence. There are about 40 million people living in Caribbean region and essentially there are 29 island nations and 7,000 islands. None of those islands, these islands, most of them have a population of 30,000, 50,000, 100,000. None of those islands can afford to have a uh, specialist doctor like cardiologist or a cardiac surgeon or a neurologist or a neurosurgeon because the population is too small, but people live there and they do fall sick. So we thought 
if we can create one regional center for the Caribbean, which networks with all the hospital, all the people living in Caribbean region. See, the Microsoft has launched a platform called Kaizala, in which every patient can put all their medical data into Kaizala in their phone. And with the click of a button, these patients can send their uh, medical reports to our doctors in Cayman Island. And Kaizala also has a facility for uh, video conference. So patient can actually see the doctor, doctor can see the patient. And as the doctor is talking to the patient, they can have a communication and he can see the medical data in front of him. See, telemedicine, we were treating patients online through telemedicine well before the internet, 17 years ago. I have personally seen more than 53,000 heart patients. But the problem is, when I talk to a patient, I need to see his medical data in front of me. If that is not available, I am very insecure in prescribing. Today, with the technology, I can have total knowledge about his entire medical history just in front of me. And this can dramatically change the way healthcare is delivered in remote locations like Caribbean islands. This is a very interesting story. Uh, you have used the economies of scale to reduce the cost of surgery. You have shown how technology can, show, can further reduce the cost and make healthcare safe and affordable to its patients. You have also shown that your model is scalable, uh, whether it's India or the Caribbean or anywhere else in the world. But I want to ask you now, what, do you, what are your views on the future of cardiac surgery? I think the future of cardiac surgery, especially for young surgeons, is very exciting. The reason is, the number of surgeries you all need to do will be 100 times more than what we are expected to do. Because we are not even serving the needs of 20% of the world's population. But with the low-cost government schemes and various technologies, more and more patients will be diagnosed with heart disease. And outcome of surgical intervention for a heart problem will become outstanding. It will become excellent. So when the product outcome is very good, there will be a lot of buyers. But one thing all the young surgeons should remember that Tomorrow is never an extension of today and yesterday. It is different. So they need to relook at how their profession will be in the future. First thing is, you have to realize that a lot of the procedures will be shifted from the cardiac operation theater to the cath lab. Now, does that mean that surgeons will not be doing those procedures? No, I strongly feel that all the cardiac surgeons, young cardiac surgeons, should learn the art of the angiography and intervention on the heart. Because when I started my career in India, the angioplasty came and angioplasty took away most of the surgeons' workload. We are not complaining. Actually, we facilitated the transition from surgery to the angioplasty. That's okay. But then the ASD devices, VST devices, then in the last few months, we have hardly done any BT shunt in our hospital. 
we do more than 12, 15 heart surgeries a day, six days a week on kids alone. I'm not talking about adults. We do more than 37 heart surgeries a day in our hospital. And we haven't done any BT shunt. Why? Because virtually every patient who requires a BT shunt either undergoes PDA stenting or right ventricular outflow tract stenting. And the outcome is very good and patients love it. And it is our duty to promote these technologies. But the question is, who's going to do the procedure? I believe that these interventions can be done by cardiac surgeons with proper training because they have the opportunity to see real time when they do the operation. They are in a much better position to understand the implication of a TAVI sitting in the right position or the wrong position or the mitral valve sitting in the right position or the wrong position. But then we have to change the way our surgeons are trained. So first thing is all our surgeons, young surgeons, to be tech savvy. If they are not tech savvy, believe me, they will have a hard time. You are perhaps aware that last six months, I haven't done rounds in the ICU. I do the, I see the patient who I have operated in my phone through Kaizala. What do I do in the ICU? I see the cardiac monitor. I can see the cardiac monitor in my phone in Kaizala. Then I see the chart, input output chart. I can see everything. I can see the blood gases. I can, I can see everything real time. Then why should I go and waste my time? I don't touch the patients because we have a policy that only the doctors who are going to do the procedure should touch the patient. Otherwise, you shouldn't. If I am not touching the patient, why should I be in the ICU? I, before I go to bed at 11 o'clock at night, I do the rounds. 4.30 in the morning, I am up, I do the rounds in the ICU with my phone. And this is the beauty or I am fly, I am landing in Miami airport on my way to Cayman Island. I do the rounds in the ICU. This is possible. This is what young surgeons have to learn. So on the whole, it is an extremely exciting future for our young surgeons. Dr. Shetty, thank you very much for agreeing to do this interview. And this concludes our interview with the giants of cardiothoracic surgery. Goodbye and thank you. Thank you for listening to CTS Net to Go your resource for podcasts focusing on cardiothoracic surgery. Find more discussions as well as surgical videos and other cardiothoracic surgery resources at ctsnet.org. You can also keep up with CTSNet by subscribing to the YouTube channel at ctsnetvideo, by following at ctsnet.org on Twitter, or by liking CTSNet's page on Facebook. I'm Shanda Blackman. Thank you for joining us on this latest episode of CTS Net to Go. Have a great day.